0: Thank you, Matt, for teaching our kids through family worship and for Steph and Joel as they teach our kids downstairs. It's just a joy to see teachers who are pouring into our kids' lives as we see them grow in maturity of Christ. And it's good to be gathering with you this morning as we worship our God together, as we adore him, as we behold the glory of who he is, and as we come around his word this morning. it's just—it's a joy to be with you, church, and so I hope that it is a blessing to you as well as we come together and worship our God. My name is Pastor Madam, the associate pastor here. Um, it's, it is a great privilege to be able to bring to you God's word this morning as we continue in our series of the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to be finishing up John. 17 of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Nate uh, started off in verse 17, or chapter 17, as uh, Jesus prayed for himself that he would have the glory uh, that he had with God before the foundation of the world, as he's looking ahead to what he's going to be accomplishing on the cross in his death and his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. And so he prays that that would be done, that he would truly accomplish what God's will was, and uh, the work that he had set out to do. Uh, as well, he talks about how he has made God's word known, the word that God has given him to his disciples, to those who were following him, to those whom he called to himself, that they would believe in God as Father and Jesus as a Son, that they are one, and that Christ gives eternal life, and that eternal life is truly knowing God, truly knowing who he is, relationally, through faith in Jesus. But that's not the end of the prayer that Jesus has. Jesus continues in his prayer, and he continues to pray for his disciples, for those who are his. I want to first start off with the question, how do we as Christians face the harsh reality of our calling in Christ? How do we face sometimes our lack of assurance in our faith? of if we really will turn from God and turn to the evil that so often infects our hearts and our lives? How do we face the suffering and trials that come in our life for proclaiming who Jesus is and what he stands for? How do we face the harsh reality of sharing Jesus with others and the unity and the love that we're supposed to show towards one another that so often is hard to achieve, how did Jesus face the cross? We see that he was resting in the Word and in prayer. He took time to pray to God. He took time to be reminded of the promises that God has put in His Word. I've been going through this book on prayer. Uh, more specifically, it talks about corporate prayer, but it talks about what prayer is. And the importance of prayer. Prayer is for Christians what breathing is for the body. It is life-giving. The author, Gary Miller, in his book says that prayer is calling on God in praise and petition to come through on his promises of who he is and what he will do calling on God in praise and petition to come through on His promises. Prayer isn't just something that should be done at some special occasion or when we're feeling really bad. It is a constant reminder as we come to God to align our hearts with His, to align our will with His, as we look into His Word and see the promises that He has given to us. And we pray out of that. God's Word and prayer comes together. And we see Jesus doing this as an example for us even in his high priestly prayer as he's about to go to the cross. And so if Jesus prayed, why do we so often try to continue life without prayer? Jesus prayed for himself in this time as he was headed to the cross, as he was about to leave. He took that time to pray. And so I pray that as we look into his prayers, we look into what he prays for us that we too would be a people of prayer, and that we'd be in line with what Jesus has prayed for his disciples, that he would keep them, that he would unify them, and that he'd bring them back to glory with him forever in eternity. As we look in God's Word this morning, we see that Jesus sets the ground for this prayer. He is praying for those who are his, specifically his disciples. These 11 disciples that are around him at this time, whom he has kept together. Nothing intrinsic about them, not some kind of important status that they have. Most of them were fishermen. But he prays for them. Those who are his by God's sovereign election from before time began, as part of his eternal salvation plan, God was planning to use them to bring about And continue on Christ's mission and bring about God's word. And Jesus is about to leave them. They're going to be on their own. And so he prays for them. That they would hear his words. That they would hear God's promises. That they could continue to persevere in what God has willed for them. And so let us come in prayer. And then we'll read from God's word this morning. As he challenges and changes our hearts. Let us pray. Holy God, may we stand in awe of you, of your holiness, your majesty, and your power as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. Grant us a hunger and a desire to know your truth, God, to rest in your truth, and guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you, and out of that, increase our love for one another. And help us to apply this passage to our lives today, that we'd be challenged and that we'd be changed by your word as your Holy Spirit works in us, that we'd be obedient followers of Christ. And Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness, God, that you would be center, God, that as we hear from your word, we would see you and you alone. And that you would be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So let's turn to John chapter 17, starting in verse 9 together. The word of the Lord says this, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And this is the word of the Lord. And so as we see from chapter nine, or verse 9 to 11 that Jesus was praying for his disciples, that all those who are God, the fathers, are also God, the sons, those who are chosen, who are elect for God, set apart to be holy. And they, Jesus is glorified by their faith in him as they make known his name through their life. Jesus is about to leave, and so he prays, for those who are still in the world, who are going to be living as he lived and showing and sharing the word that he has given. They are in the world, and Jesus is going back to the Father, and so he prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name. He prays that they would be kept. He calls upon the Holy Father, setting the character of who God is, that he is holy, that he is perfect, that he is set apart, that he's not like us. And so he prays in the very name of God to keep his disciples. Keep them in your name, he says. This idea of them being resting and being kept in the very character and person of who God is, in all of who God is, in the very name of God, in his character, in his love, in his grace, in his holiness. This is the God in whom Jesus prays that we'd be kept in as his disciples. As he continues in verse 11 that they would be kept in unity that those which he which God has given Jesus that they would be one even as we are one. Jesus is preparing them for his departure and he needs them to be unified. And it's not just this human kind of unity, but a spiritual godlike unity that the son shares with the father. It's a unity that cannot be so easily broken. A unity that comes through the word that Christ has shared with them. A unity that is resting in the very person of Christ in who he is and what he's about to do. As it says in John 14, verse 11, Jesus says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works of God. Themselves, Jesus prays that they would believe in who he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is God, that him and the Father are one, that they are the same, and that they would have that same unity with one another, that they'd be kept in that unity. He says, while I was with them, I have kept them in your name. Jesus has walked with these disciples for the past three years, has been teaching them The word that God has given him. And he has kept his disciples in the name in which God has given him. Jesus was showing who God is. Jesus was proclaiming who God is. And the things that he was saying and the works that he was doing, that his disciples might see that he truly is the Son of God. That they would actually rest with faith in him. That they would believe and that they'd be kept in that faith. It again shows the unity of the father and the son. Both the father keeps his uh, sheep and both the son keeps the sheep. This word kept is the Greek word terero, protection by restraint. It's preserving and watching over, like a shepherd watches over the sheep as he guides them, as he leads them, as he feeds them, as he protects them from wolves. And bears, he holds them and keeps them. He has kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. This word guarded is another Greek word, very similar to kept, but it's more of that idea of protection from outside danger. It's this safeguarding. And so Jesus both preserves the disciples, but he also guards them from the evil and the hatred that so easily turns us from God and who he is. Builds in us a fear and a desire to run away. And so Jesus prays that God would keep them, because Jesus has accomplished and kept them for the time that he has been here with them on earth. He has guarded them. And in John 6, verses 37 to 39, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me, all that God has given Jesus, will come to me. They are called to him, and they will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It is a complete deliverance. It is a lasting security. This is the assurance that the disciples have as they're kept in God's name, as they're kept in that unity that is found in Christ. If you are in Christ, you will not be lost. He has a hold on you. And we can be assured of that as Jesus prays this for his disciples. Of course, though the text says that one was lost. Jesus continues in verse 12, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, referring to Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples that was with Jesus. But it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. One of them was lost, but not because in some way Jesus failed what God had willed for him, the work that Jesus was given. It was by God's sovereign plan that Judas' desire for the world, Satan entering him and using him to betray his Lord and Savior, would be the instrument in which God uses to bring about his son's betrayal and death on the cross and the most glorious redemption in the history of the world. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that was an oversight of God's But God uses even man's rebellious nature towards him that scripture might be fulfilled, that his will might be accomplished, and in this sense, the redemption of God's people for all those who believe in Jesus. As Jesus clearly states in verse 12, not one has been lost. Jesus has kept all those whom are truly his. And so Jesus continues in verse 13. Now I am coming to you, and these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus' words are to bring the disciples joy. This isn't something that the disciples are supposed to be sorrowful over, it's supposed to bring joy to their hearts. As they abide in God, as they rest in the word that God has given Jesus to proclaim. That he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he has come to redeem his people through his death and through his resurrection as he looks ahead to ascending into heaven and being with God in glory. This is to bring the disciples joy. And we see as we look back in this whole farewell discourse that Jesus is essentially summarizing the things that he's been continuing to say. He has talked about this already in John 15. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Not just filled up a little bit, full. Your joy will be full. That there may be sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus knows that there's going to be hardship. And we know that there's hardship in our life as we try to live out our lives for Christ. And so Jesus prays for this. As they face hardship, as they face difficulty, as they're about to face the world that is so against Jesus, Jesus prays that they would have joy in the words that he's spoken, in who he is as the word of God. Jesus is about to talk about it again, the hatred of the world that is towards him and towards those who follow him. Yet we can have a joy with a treasure in Christ, forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Jesus in his glory that all who believe in him will be saved, will be forgiven of their sins and be with him forever in glory. It's a joy that no one can take away, that doesn't rest on our immediate circumstances and the things that happen in our life, but on God's eternal promises and we see that as we look to God's word and what he has promised us and we can pray out of that as Jesus is even praying right now his joy that we can experience it reminds me of that song I've got the joy 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 down in my heart down in my heart thank you yeah yeah <laughs> right? A good old childhood song that we sang. I don't think the reality of it really hit me when I was a kid. It was just a fun song to sing. But that is a truth that we can rest in. We have the joy in our hearts of Christ in us. Down in our hearts to stay. I think that last part is very important. It's not just a joy down in our hearts that can be taken away It's a joy that stays, that's everlasting, that's kept in the name of God and who he is and what he has done as our joy is set on Christ and Christ alone. And so Jesus continues to pray, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. So this world brings them joy, but this word also causes hatred from the world on his disciples. Because the world has hated Jesus. And again, we see in John 15 that Jesus has already talked about this with his disciples. And so he's praying out of this. If the world hates you, he says in John 15, verses 18 and 19, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Just as Jesus prayed to the Holy Father, we too are to be holy. We're to be set apart. We're to be in this world, but not of the world. But because of that, the world will hate us. Who God is and His truth, that which is in those who believe in Him, who put their faith in Him, is offensive to those who continue to live in their sin who continue to try to live in their own way. The things that we proclaim with our mouths, the thoughts that we have, the very actions that we do, are an offense to the world around us, for it exposes the world's evil and sin. The world responds with hatred at it, and anyone tied to that truth. It reminds me again of another childhood song, This Little Light of Mine. And as we let it shine in the dark, it exposes things. Right? The light of Christ in our own lives when we came to faith exposed the sin in our own lives, I know in my life, I didn't always like to admit that I was sinful. I didn't like to admit that I didn't always love God as He called me to. That I wrestled with sin. That I wrestled with my desire to serve myself. But this light that we have of Christ is supposed to shine in the darkness. And we're supposed to love God. To not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in Him. There's no sitting on the fence with this. We either love God or we love the world. There's no middle ground there. But how often do we try to be like everyone else in the world? How often do we try to seek popularity? Do we seek success? Do we seek the best clothes? Or even just living a lifestyle that's more comfortable How often do we try to be like the world in our thoughts and our desires? How often do we try to even just unite over things that aren't of God? But on the flip side, how often do we also try to not be around anyone else in the world? Do we try to just separate ourselves completely and not even be in the world at all? We kind of just hide in our own salvation-secured bomb shelter and just sort of wait out life. But God calls us to be in the world. Jesus prays, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not in the world. But I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Do you hear that? Jesus doesn't pray that we'd be saved and we'd be gone. He prayed that we would stay in the world because we are to continue on in living and reflecting who he is. We continue on to share the good news of the gospel, continue on to be the light that he has called us to be. Let us be in the world, but not be like them, not live like them, but live like our God. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we, from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to be set apart, we are to be holy, we are to look different Jesus prays that we would not be immediately taken out, but knowing through such hardship our growth in faith is certain that we would be used to glorify him. And he continues on to pray that we would be sanctified, to be set apart to, there's a strong correlation with holiness, this process of becoming holy, to be self-conformed to what God's heart is through his truth. We're not just safeguarded, but we're internally conformed to the image of Christ. God is continuing to work in our hearts to be more and more like him. But this happens through the hardship and suffering and persecution that comes as we live out our faith. And so be in the world that we would be sanctified and sanctified in the truth of who God is, that as we experience life here on earth, God's truth would come alive for us as we see him working in and through us for his glory. Jesus always moves first. He hasn't called us to something that he hasn't already done. He left glory to be in this world and to proclaim the good news of God. And he's gone before us to be hated by the world. He's gone before us to die for us. He is a true leader and shepherd, and he gives voluntarily. He has sanctified himself even for the Father. He has set himself apart to do the will of the Father, and he calls us to do the same. And so he prays for his disciples that they would be sanctified, that they would be made more and more like Christ, that they would continue on in the mission that God has given them, Just as Jesus has been sent in the world, he sends them into the world. And he has sanctified himself that they also may be sanctified in his truth. And so they are called to continue on the mission by a unity and love in Christ. And so he continues to pray that they would be unified. But he also talks about in verse 20 that it's not just for those who are his immediate disciples, but now for his disciples who are to come. Which is a crazy concept to me, that Jesus on this night, prayed for us. Our Savior prayed for us, that we'd be unified together. He prays that we would all be unified, just as a father and the son is unified. Again, an echo of what he has prayed before. Just as the Father is in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, and as as they are in us, that they would be united together. This unity is important. This unity shows the world who God is. They may may believe that Jesus has actually been sent to proclaim the good news of God, that Jesus has been sent to accomplish what we could not. And so we are to be unified together in the same mission, the same spirit, the same body. There is one body, one spirit, just as we are all called to one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And this is Ephesians 4 that Paul prays for the Ephesus church. It's an echo of what Jesus has prayed. That we would be of the same mind, that we'd be thinking from God's word and his truth, that we'd be of the same love a sacrificial Christ-like love for one another. they would be united in spirit in our spiritual goals and the fruit that we produce and in the same purpose of forwarding God's kingdom and being on mission for him to bring him glory. And this unity is so important that the world, as a witness to the world, as we give glory to God, that as they see us, they would see something different, that they would see God's love in us, that they would see God's glory as he works in us this genuine love and this unity on display, that the name of God would be proclaimed through his church and shown with the Father and Christ in us and the Holy Spirit at home together in us. That this love would be so compelling and unlike their own, unlike the world's love, that there is no other explanation except that God is at work in these people. True biblical outward unity cannot happen, though, apart from true internal unity through the work of our triune God. It's through what God does in our own hearts and our own lives, as He calls us to Himself, as He changes our hearts to receive the good news of Christ, that we can truly strive for this unity that in which we are called. And so, how are we doing as a church? Are we unified? In these things? Are we showing Christ's joyful, sacrificial, unifying love? Are we unified in God's Word? Or are we just unifying over people with similar interests or personalities as our own? Are we unifying over our generation that we're in? Are we unifying over our culture? Are we unifying over people who we both? seem to have an issue with? Or that we share gossip with? If someone from the world comes in and hears how we talk about one another, would they leave that conversation saying, wow, God is at work in that person's heart? Or will they leave wanting nothing to do with God? Because his people don't look any different than the world. Jesus prays that we'd be unified because it is a witness to the world of who he is, of God's very character. And our unifying, our unity as a church reflects that. And so may we take this seriously seriously. May we hate the sin that is in us, the desire that continues to well up in our hearts to even show hatred towards one another. Those who are image bearers of God, those who are God's beloved, those who are called to Christ together, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. May we repent of the hatred that has broken the unity within our church, of how utterly evil we can be towards one another of how we have not reflected God rightly in our own lives. Pray that God would change our hearts. Pray that he would unite us in the right things, in God's word, in who he is, in what Christ has done for us, in the love that he has shown us. Jesus prayed and Jesus obeyed that we would be saved to his glory and glorious purposes of being his people. His bride set apart to be holy. Holy a unity that is not broken, a unity of sacrificial love and joy in being together. This is tough work. This is sacrificial work. This is suffering work. But as Jesus' ambassadors to do the work he has called and equipped us to do, this is serious. And we need to take it seriously. We need to pray together for one another. And we need to extend this not just to ourselves, but even to other gospel-preaching churches. This is why we pray for other churches, is that not just ourselves would be unified, but as a church as a whole, we would be unified together because we are witnesses of who God is in the world as we bring about his word and mission, as we point them to Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. This unity that we have and we share with one another is simply a glimpse of the beautiful unity and glory we will have with Jesus in eternity. And so Jesus ends off his prayer in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays that God would keep us, that he would unify us, and that ultimately he would bring us home to Jesus. Do you desire for Jesus? Do you desire for our Lord and Savior while you're here on this earth? To be with him in eternity, to be worshiping him? Jesus desired for us to be with him. Not because he needs us there, but his love for his own runs so deep. He prayed to the Holy Father that we'd be kept, that we'd be unified, and that we would see his glory in the eternal love of our triune God. Or would death be an intrusion on your plans and desires for your life here on earth? See, heaven changes our perspective. The glorious presence of our holy God, our precious Savior, Jesus. It should drive us to be unified and a loving church in Christ that God has called us to as he keeps us safeguarded here on earth. But we're looking ahead to the glory of being with our Lord and Savior. Jesus' desires for those given to him will be with him and see his glory. The amazing thing is that Jesus is looking ahead to his death and resurrection. We are on his heart and mind as he is going to go to the cross and die for our sins. He's going to bear God's wrath upon himself on the cross before he's beaten and mocked. And he will die, but in three days he will rise again. And he will ascend into heaven and will wait to return and fully put an end to sin and death. He died for us while we were enemies of him. He died for us when we did not love him, but he first loved us. And this is eternal life, to truly know God. Jesus made a way that we could know our Heavenly Father and be in glory with him forever, praising and worshiping his name. It comes back to what Jesus prayed at the beginning of his prayer. The glory from his Father manifested as he obediently looks ahead to his death, the resurrection and ascension, back to the Father and the glory He shared, the love that He had before the foundations of the world to accomplish God's plan for redemption, that we would truly know God, that we would put our faith in Jesus, that we would believe He is a Son of God, and that in Him is true life. And Jesus prays that this love as we continue on our, in our life here on Earth would be shown. The same love that the Father has shown Christ, and that Christ has shown the Father. And so may we have that love, to not love the world, but to love God, to show whose we are and what God has done for us. Jesus has made God known and made a way through his sacrificial death on the cross through his resurrection and ascension unto glory, that all who believe would be saved. And he continues to make it known and manifest that the Father's love to him would be the same love in us as Christ is in us. And so persevere. Persevere, church. We are kept in Christ. The suffering and the trouble that will come with following Christ is for your good for your sanctification and Jesus has prayed this for us. We are kept and we are held in him. We are assured of this and so persevere. When faced with temptation, with trials, turn to God in his word. Be reminded of the promises of who he is and what he has done for us and pray out of that. Pray that God would work in your heart, that he would remind you of these things and that his will would be done in your life as you seek to glorify him, as you seek to be sanctified and set apart. Pray what our Savior has prayed and continues to pray for us. And may we be united to God and to one another with Christ in us. Are there those in the church right now in whom you have quarrels with? In whom you maybe have anger towards? Seek forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. Why? Because it is a witness to the world of who our God is. Are you even aware as to how the life you live is affecting others' walk with Christ? We are to be united together with Christ as our head, as His body. And when the body, if one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. Are you trying to be united with others more on things other than Christ? Are you trying to be united over things that you enjoy doing, things you like? It's all good things, but may we ultimately be united in who God is and what Christ has done. May we be an example and not just toss aside the importance of unity as a church. We are a broken people and we are saved by grace and so extend the same love and grace that God extends to you because we need each other. We need one another. And lastly, do you long for Jesus or is death an inconvenience for you? I remember recently, I, was, I think I was just driving and I just thought, I cannot wait. Like, I, I, like death, death isn't even scary to me. Because just as it says in Philippians one twenty one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May we live for Christ here and now, but look ahead to the glory of being with our Savior. May the joys of eternal glory with Jesus in heaven be our deepest desire and drive you to live as God has called you to. So I want to end off by just reading First Peter 1, 3-9. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it points us to who you are. God, the promises that you have given us how it points us to Christ and our redemption found in him, how he died for our sins on the cross, how he rose again, and how he offers us new life for all who believe in faith. God, we thank you for that amazing truth, God, that we are kept in your name. God, we thank you for Jesus' prayer that he prayed, God, that he would be glorified, and God, that we as disciples would be kept, God, that we'd be unified in him and together with one another. God, that he desires for us to be brought home to you. God, to him and to see his glory. The glory that he had with you before the foundation of the world. God, may we take his prayer to heart. And God, may we pray out of that to be the church that you've called us to be. God, to pray for one another. God, to show the same love and grace and forgiveness that you have shown us. God, that we would be a witness to the world. God, that our light would shine and expose the darkness. God, as we point to you, as we are set apart and made holy, as you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen.